Can a radio show keep you safe and protect your rights? The verdict is yes. If it's Scott Weinberg on the law. Once again, here's attorney Scott Weinberg. What do you do when your dad is the most recognized attorney in the state? Well, you become one of the best attorneys in the state in your own right. We're joined by attorney Mark Bernstein. He's a graduate of University of Michigan, undergraduate law and MBA go blue. And uh, Mark was a former, which is so interesting, a former uh, one of the directors from the press pool during the President Clinton's reign and also lectures at U of M. Mark, welcome to the show. Great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. It's uh, wonderful to have you. Mark, what, what is it like coming into a practice? Well, obviously your dad is one of the top attorneys in the state for so many years, but so recognized. Was it difficult coming into a uh, practice like that? That's a good question. You know, I, um, in some ways, I, I always knew I was probably going to end up at the law firm. Um, and, it, you know, there's very big shoes to fill, obviously. And so, you know, you feel a certain sense of comfort based on the fact that, you know, you're entering a place that's familiar to you. I grew up in our law firm. I, you know, from a very, very young age, you know, I, uh, I, I spent time in the office around some of the lawyers who I'm now working with side by side um, on a daily basis. And so, um, in some ways, it was a very comfortable place to go to. Um, but in other ways, there's different challenges. You know, everybody wants to make a name for themselves and climb out of um, the shadow of someone who's above them, so to speak. And uh, in my case, I think it gave me extra motivation to really you know, go out, do things on my own, build my own own identity, so to speak, my own qualifications. So I just wasn't, you know, the, the boss's kid kind of a situation. And so, um, you know, I... I think that was motivation for me to go out and, and, and work hard and, um, you know, have experience that, that added to the firm when I showed up. And, um, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm managing the firm. Um, my brother and my sister and my dad are all obviously a huge part of our firm and, and the identity of our firm. And um, But filling his shoes or trying to, uh, every day is, um, you know, kind of is one of my goals. You know, one of the things that uh, people might not realize is that your dad really was an innovator for uh, for legal or professional advertising. Before your dad really was doing it, it really wasn't accepted in the uh, not only in the country but in the in the state. And he really opened the door. And I, quite frankly, I I've marketed a lot, and and he really opened the door not just for lawyers though, for dentists, for any other professional right. to advertise. He took advantage of a system that, quite frankly, made it very um, honest and ethical for people to. To market themselves, other than what was traditionally just word of mouth. Well, you you know firsthand that that um, you know people who are connected, who um, have privilege, um, who have money, to put it bluntly, have all the connections they need. They get into a bind legally, they know who to call. They call a neighbor, they call a brother, they may be a lawyer themselves. You know, our firm helps people of all walks of life, but we educate people about what their rights are, and um, we make it easy for people to get connected to the very best legal services that they can uh, that they can connect with. And so, we view our our work as being one that really opened up the law to people who, prior to our our you know our firm advertising and many others like us, um, was closed. You know, is this Ivy 
you know, covered walls and mahogany wall, you know, this kind of cloistered world of lawyers that was not open to everybody. Right. And so the fact that, you know, we inform people about their rights, we answer, you know, people call us and we, we talk to them for free. We don't charge them a penny for the, for consultations. We don't, we work on a contingency basis. Um, so, uh, there's, there's, they don't owe us a penny if we're not able to collect money for them. Um, opens up the law, it democratizes it, it makes it accessible to people who otherwise would be blocked out. And that's really true. That's actually how the contingency system was created, not just in the state, but in the country, where in England, you know, they have barristers and they have solicitors, and people just couldn't afford to be able to go to court. They they could get a lawyer, but that lawyer wouldn't go to court, and they really, that's where they came up with the contingency systems, just so firms like yours can help, quite frankly, the common guy. Mm-hmm. You, know, we, you know, when someone says, what do you do for a living? My answer is, uh, you know, my kids ask me, what do I do for them? I tell them, you know, I help people get a fair shake. I help, you know, I fight and I win for people who are getting the short end of the stick. And um, and it feels great to be able to do that because it's happening, unfortunately, I feel like it's happening more and more frequently every day. Do you find that it's uh, harder or is it easier these days in Michigan to get litigants their day in court? Are the, are the, is the system getting uh, harder for them to be able to go to court in terms of having their cases heard, or do you feel that uh, somehow the courts are opening up for the common guy? That's a good question. I, you know, on one hand, um, Michigan courts are um, just now coming out of the the dark shadow, so to speak, of, of John Engler and um, his, you know, packing of the bench with people who, um, in my opinion, don't. Uh, don't necessarily side with or feel sympathetic towards or open to, you know, the everyday person who's getting the short end of the stick. Um, you know, and so the opinions from the Michigan Supreme Court have become, just recently with the election of Judge Hath- Justice Hathaway, um, far more um, fair when it comes to putting people, everyday people, ahead of or on an equal footing with uh, the interests of corporations and insurance companies. And finally, there are judges on the bench or an increasing number of judges on the bench who um, are uh, open to hearing the arguments of people who um, up against, you know, powerful insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies. On the other hand, um, the the laws in Michigan um, remain very restrictive. Um, with respect to um, certain areas of law. For example, we are the only state in the United States that has a drug immunity law, which means that if you've been injured by a drug um, in Michigan, um, you basically do not have a cause of action against the company that made that drug. There are some exceptions to that. They're very narrow, and our firm has been successful in in working with some of those exceptions. But... um, that's just one example of areas of law in Michigan that need to be improved and why it's so important for people um, to be engaged in the process. And, you know, I respect people who have other points of view on this, um, you know, and, and, um, but the, uh, the feeling I have is that at a minimum, 
um, individuals should be able to get into the court system and have a jury of their peers think about their case and, 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 and deliberate on their case. Do you find and, that the uh, one of the reasons why we had that type of restricted law, especially in products liability and suing for the uh, against uh, pharmaceutical companies for the drugs, is the tremendous amount of money that they lobby for in this state? Do you think that's, a, that's one of the reasons? Well, there's no doubt. Da- look, you know, the, the drug immunity law is an example. Um, was pushed by the pharmaceutical in- industry. It was pushed, uh, you know, 15 years ago as a as a way to lure drug companies to Michigan. And of course, I, I happen to live in Ann Arbor, and I would know firsthand uh, that that has not worked. That Pfizer closed up in Michigan, uh, laid off or fired a bunch of you know um, people, and moved those jobs. Where did they move them to? Connecticut. What is what does Connecticut have as far as drug laws are concerned? Some of the most progressive, open, and um, favorable laws for um, for for plaintiffs in the country. So the argument that um, these drug these laws that were put in place to create jobs is a huge, um, I believe, is is false. Um, they do create some jobs in the insurance industry that are making record profits in Michigan. Um, but I do think that money in the justice system um, on frankly both sides of the equation um, may uh, is, is problematic um, and I think a lot of corporations I think the Chamber of Commerce for example have all realized that it is a lot in some ways it's a bargain you know you can pay for a judicial election um, a lot um, a lot easier than, than influencing a legislature or a gubernatorial campaign, um, trying to get trying to get their uh, their correct judges on the bench. True, and I, you know, I'm not suggesting that you know judges are um, bought and paid for. That is not my no, but they can raise, not at all what I'm suggesting. Yeah, but, but they I, raise money and they they get support from those people, so that's a legitimate claim. Sure, well, you know, people exact it, it is a is a concern, and. Um, you know, there are a lot of states that are, are starting to, to, to really think very hard about how best to uh, run judicial elections. We're um, talking with uh, Mark Bernstein, one of the top, obviously, litigation uh, attorneys in the state that runs uh, Bernstein Law. You know, one of the things we just actually were talking and I had an interview with Elberks uh, Patterson, and he was talking about um, how to attract businesses and keep businesses and jobs in the state. Do you find that... Um, and one, because obviously you and your father have uh, worked so hard in the state to help the common guy, but do you find that lawsuits scare those companies away, that they're um, even doctors, that they're afraid of malpractice claims, therefore don't want to practice in the state? Do you find that that's affected it at all? You know, I, I find that those arguments are entirely without merit. Um, Tell me why. Been, well, you know, the first of all, the facts on the ground clearly reject the premise that, for example, um, the threat of medical malpractice claims um, forces doctors out of practice or out of the state. You know, those claims have been made in Michigan, they've been made in Nevada, they've been made in Maryland, they've been made in multiple other states, and in every instance they have been um, uh, clearly refuted just on the facts. You think they're really promoted by the insurance companies trying to... uh... Oh, there's no doubt that that's the case. That's for for sure. Um, And, you know... You look at states that are economic powerhouses. Um, look at California. Look at North Carolina. Look at Texas. Look at New York. Look at you know you you name the state. Um, 
they all have far more uh, progressive, um, lenient tort systems than Michigan does. Michigan is probably the most restrictive state in the United States when it comes to restricting accident victims' um, access to the court system. And we have probably the worst economy of any state in the United States. It's really so, true. I mean, it's such a high threshold that they have to show in terms of an injury. And, I mean, it just makes it so difficult for the common guy to be able to uh, pay for the pain and suffering or pay for long-term illnesses. Look, if, if the facts could prove that by restricting lawsuits you somehow uh, encourage economic development, I could be persuaded. But the facts are... Uh, just do not prove that. Um, and the, the circumstance of Michigan is perhaps the most clear illustration of the fallacy of that argument. We have the most restrictive uh, tort system in the United States, and we have the worst economy in the United States. You would think if we had the most restrictive tort system in the United States, we would have a thriving economy, according to the analysis done by folks who you know, uh, work for the insurance industry or corporate America. And that is just simply not the case. Look, you look at, look at you know, the, the, the folks along the Gulf Coast right now whose lives and economy have been destroyed by the careless, negligent, reckless acts of British Petroleum and Halliburton and others with this oil spill. Um, you can, I don't think anybody with a straight face can say that those folks don't deserve some kind of justice that a jury or juries in that area should be prevented from casting judgment on the corporate conduct of British Petroleum. That is, the framers of the United States Constitution felt that the jury system was an essential safeguard for uh, the rights of, of everyday people to hold their government and corporations and other individuals accountable. Well, one of the things, of course, and that uh, that's going to be years of future litigation regarding BP. You know, BP, though, I mean, they do many different things in this country, let alone around the world, that are good things and promote good things for people. But obviously, it shows even a corporation that does many other things well can simply destroy the economy and the lives of what will be thousands of individuals down in the Gulf and in and, and other uh, island countries, too. You know, I, I wanted to bring up, of course, I, and I wanted to ask you, I know that you worked in the in the White House. Do you ever miss working in the White House? I know you worked with the Clinton administration in the in the press corps. You know, I do sometimes. I um, um, it, Those were, it was an amazing life experience. It was a great opportunity to serve in government and to try to work on policies that, that make our, our country better and the lives of, of, of working people in this country better. Um, and it was also on a, on, a, on a personal level really a remarkable opportunity to sit in the front row and watch history happen every day. Um, but, um, you know, you have new challenges and new opportunities every day. Um, I love what I do. I love the people that I work with and the people I work for. And um, in some ways, I feel like I'm making even a bigger impact 
uh, in my community right now in my office. Well, we we appreciate you definitely doing that, and I tell you, it's uh, nothing better than getting your hands dirty and being the ground floor, uh, helping individuals. It's a grassroots kind of way of helping people, not in Washington, but right here in Detroit. So we appreciate you doing that. We've been joined by Mark Bernstein, one of obviously the top personal injury and malpractice firms in the state around, quite frankly, in the Midwest, and we hope to have you back on the show. I'd love to be, and I really appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Mark. Take care. Bye-bye. People don't realize how innovative his dad and, and that firm was. I mean, people can sit there and say, oh, you know, I'm going to call 1-800-CALL-SAM. And, it's, and, of course, people would think it might even be a blue-collar kind of situation where, like Mark was talking about, that, you know, if you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth or if you're from a very um, affluent area, you're not usually... Uh, finding your professional on the TV or in the radio for that matter. It's, you have your, your dad's accountant who has a buddy who's a lawyer. I mean, it, it's, it's a situation where, um, the, the, as it were, the common guy, the guy who, who just doesn't have that kind of connection needs to have exposure to other professionals. And that's really what his dad did. I mean, Sam Bernstein was one of the, uh, founders of professional advertising, not just for that, like we talked about, but for dentists, chiropractors, doctors. He made it uh, possible for hospitals. You know, we see all those Beaumont ads, and every hospital advertise, Ben, that they uh, they have it where, you know, now they can make it ethical for you to advertise for heart surgery. Well, you know what? Sam Bernstein was one of the one of the first guys that did that, and that that you know you really have to give him credence for that. Oh yeah, definitely. I can tell you that. Uh, one of the major things that that I always like to deal with in the news, that's for sure, is give you certain information that will help you uh, understand your rights. But there are so many stupid crimes going around in those countries. We're going to go back to our stupid criminal section in Colorado Springs where a guy walked into a little corner store with a shotgun and demanded all the cash from the drawer, right? This idiot goes up there, and, of course, the cashier puts the cash in a bag. The robber saw a bottle of scotch, hopefully Glenvitic, and then he wanted behind the counter and the shelf. He said to the cashier, put it in the bag. Of course, the guy refused. He says, why? You know, I've got a gun on you, he says, because you don't look like you're 21. So he says, what, are you kidding me? And so he tooks out, takes his ID out, shows him it. Of course, they give him the booze. <laughs> he leaves his ID there. And, of course, they call the police and they, they wrap him because they have his identification. If you can't get more stupid than that, I don't know what you can do. You got the guy, though, The one of the best ones is the one the, in England, a German tourist supposedly on a golf holiday. Now, this will show you to practice your swing. A golf holiday shows up at Customs with his golf bag. While making an idle chatter about the golf, the Customs official realizes the tourist doesn't know what a handicap is. He asks him to even practice a swing. He does it backwards, does it opposite, of course, sets the custom official off, showing that he had no idea what was going on, and they searched the uh, searched the bag and found 10 pounds of cocaine in the golf bag. So it shows you golf practicing and swing, as I'll tell my wife, is always important. But one of the stupidest ones is the one that uh, 
that happened in Michigan, drug possession, uh, defendant on trial in Pontiac. He said he'd been searched without a warrant, so the prosecutor said the officer didn't need a warrant because of a bulge in his pocket, and that is very typical, quite frankly. You have what are called probable cause to search you, a Terry pat-down looking for weapons, and you find some type of, or looking for uh, some type of narcotics and bulge in the pocket. So he sits there and he judge, judge, I'm wearing the same coat, and he hands the judge the coat, and of course it's got cocaine in his pocket as he hands it to the judge, and the judge that, lasts. That one's priceless. The judge lasts for uh, basically a half an hour. All right, well, we're going to be done with our stupid crimes here. We're happy to thank uh, L. Brooks Patterson and Senator Tom George and Mark Bernstein for joining the show. And we will always protect all your legal rights here on 1270 WXYT.